Yo, Short Box Nation, welcome back to the podcast. And new listeners joining us for the first time, welcome to the Short Box Podcast, one of the longest running comic book talk shows in the multiverse. My name is Botter, and this is episode 384, a special two-in-one episode. You're being treated to not one, but two awesome interviews with certified comic-creating badasses including comic colorist extraordinaire Laura Martin, who is a world-renowned comic colorist. She's got over 1,400 credits to her name. You'll also hear from the zombie king himself, Mr. Arthur Sidem. He is one of the co-creators of the Marvel Zombies, which at the height of his popularity was responsible for re-energizing and reigniting a whole new zombie craze within pop culture and comic books. You're going to hear some awesome stories and perspectives and information from the both of them. Both of these interviews were recorded live from CollectiveCon this past weekend, which I'm happy to say was a fantastic event. I am so happy to know I don't have to drive hours outside of Jack's to enjoy a great convention experience. And you know what? My wallet and my car appreciate it, too. So a big shout out to Jason and the entire CollectiveCon team and a bigger shout out to you listeners that I got to meet in person. Aside from talking comics of Laura and Arthur, I also got to rub elbows with a lot of other talented people. I got to meet the OG Pink Ranger herself, Miss Amy Jo Johnson. I got to chat with Gimli from Lord of the Rings, Mr. John Reese Davies, who is an absolute class act, might I add. And if it couldn't get any better, I also got to interview a trio of voice acting legends like Billy West, John DiMaggio, and, and Jim Cummings. In short, we got a lot of dope episodes coming to this podcast feed in the weeks to come. And if you're a Patreon subscriber, you're definitely in luck. Not only will you get access to all these interviews first, but honestly, a few of them are going to stay exclusive to Patreon for some time before they even see the light of day for everyone else. So if you've been curious about joining our Patreon community or, you know, you've been on the fence and you just need that one little push, sign up for a month. Give it a test drive. See if it's something you like. Patreon.com slash the short box is where you'll want to go or you just click the link in the show notes. Make it easy on yourself. But that's enough for me. Enjoy the show. It's a really good one. Take care of yourselves and make sure you come back next Wednesday for another one. I'm out of here now. Peace. Collective Con, I am here with Laura Martin, a.k.a. comic book colorist extraordinaire here at Collective Con, obviously. Laura, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thank you. How are you? I'm well. How are you enjoying your Collective Con experience? Is it your first time at Collective Con? My first time here, yeah, and it's been wonderful. It's been super accommodating, and uh, the, the crowds have been fantastic. It's been fun to really meet and talk with people here, and obviously there's a huge love for all kinds of fandoms here, and I just love seeing all of it, so it's fantastic. Well said. And I understand that you grew up here in Florida. You're from the central Florida side, uh, graduated UCF. You're now living in Atlanta, correct? Yes, that's right. Uh And what's the comic scene and comic community like in Atlanta? It's very diverse. The reason we moved there in the first place was because we knew a lot of comic professionals who work, who live there, work there. Um, you know, guys like Adam Hughes and Polly Hamner, Mark, Mark uh, Brooks. You know, I mean, a ton of artists are living there. Um, but also, you've got, I mean, you've got some huge conventions like Dragon Con is the big one in, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's like a four day crazy event that's downtown. But we've also got MomoCon, you've got Atlanta Comic Con, you've got a number of cons that have come up that are doing fantastic things, and each one um, sort of. Uh, appeals to different fandoms different types you know so you've got your you know dragon con is a lot of fantasy a lot of uh 
a lot of cosplay, a ton of cosplay. Hmm. Um, but you know, then you've got Momocon, which is more about anime and manga, and, and but it's also bringing in a lot of American artists and stuff. And then, uh, the, of course, you know, Atlanta Comic Con is more comics oriented, so it, it pretty much serves every possible community you could want. So it's a- Atlanta sounds like the mecca of nerdson. Yes. I'm- yeah, I would say so. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'm here for it. All right. So, Laura, for the uninitiated, um, your comic book colorist credits, I mean, are in the thousands. I looked up. Uh, I was on comicvine.com uh, today, the, the massive comic database. And I think, like you said, over a thousand credits of yours. And I'm going to ask you the very hard question of trying to hone in on maybe like a project or maybe a character that like it's really memorable for you like in your very expansive career like what character or project or comic series comes to mind like when you think of like ones that really kind of touched you or you grew from okay um i would have to say uh, that uh just because i saw the movie when it first came out um you know in the in the 90s uh and i got to know the artist's work over time as i became involved in comics and uh, and then I got to actually color his work, which was amazing, which was The Rocketeer with Dave Stevens. Um, yeah, when he decided to republish all of his original comics into a, a full, you know, uh, singular format, he, he asked me to color it. And that was one of the greatest honors of my career. So I, I really tried to, um, you know, to put what I could of, of Dave into these pages. And unfortunately, he passed away before he could see any of the pages colored. But um, he had... A, a, a trust in my work that I could I, I can't even imagine so it was a huge honor to work on that and you know to see his work come back into print has been fantastic wow that is very touching and I understand that you know you got into comic books a little later I think closer to when you were you know in, in college and, and uh, going for design when you think of like the comic books or like that, that moment where you really got into comic books like is there a title or, or you know a character or character or creator that comes to mind that like really kind of started your comic book journey in fandom oh that's a that's a tough one uh, i would have to say the thing that actually sparked my interest in terms of this is not the comics i thought it was hmm. was an issue of conan oh, wow. that um my brother had uh, he he claims he doesn't remember this but i swear he i found a conan with no cover on it yeah. in his in his room and he's 13 years older than i am so we have a significant age difference but it was at the time i was reading little kid comics i was reading like you know scrooge mcduck and stuff like that so Maybe the occasional Archie, but I was still kind of too young for Archie even. And uh, I found this Conan, and I, and I looked at the first page, and I was like, "This is not, this is not Disney. This is not, this is not cartoons." And, and it really made me think about, "Wow, there's so much more that can be done visually with comic art." And I mean, even I didn't, I couldn't express that when I was seven, but you know, I I recognized it when I saw it. So I think that actually made me start thinking about how storytelling can be can be interpreted in so many different ways in a visual medium um but it probably wasn't until i like i said when i was in college when i got reintroduced to um you know the x-men but also now this image boom that was coming up at the time and uh i would you know the the guys that i was working with at kinko's would show me all these comics that were coming out at the time and would be like oh this guy's amazing this is frank miller oh my god this is amazing this is jim lee and then they'd have arguments over who was the better one and I got sucked into this as well. I was like, okay, tell me more, tell me more. And um, so it was probably the probably Wildcats that made me go, wow. okay, what's this? You know, yeah. okay, this is new comics. This is how comics are done now. Oh, okay, okay. Bring me up to speed, you know, come on, you know. Awesome. So, yeah, that was probably the one that sort of was my uh, 
my gateway drug, as it were, into the comics field. Awesome. So. I can only imagine you opening up that Conan and just ACDC blaring just yeah. out of nowhere. <laughs> I, didn't even, I didn't even understand any of it. I was, it was way over my head at the time, but yeah. there was some magic going on there that I'm like, oh, yeah. this is very different. Also the fact that he was almost nude, but, you know, mm. I was seven. What did I know? <laughs> exactly. Um, Laura, I'm, I'm going to pay you a compliment in saying that as I was kind of writing down notes to, to talk to you and things like that, I realized that your name that you might be responsible for maybe like my my conscious awareness of like colors like the importance of colors to comic books i think like your name is like among the top names that when i think of like amazing comic colorists or just comic colors in general you come to mind i guess how do you define the importance of colors and comics and the role of being a colorist well i think that it's uh the, the point of coloring is the exact same point of the writing and the penciling and inking, which is to tell the story. That's all we do. This It's a collaborative process between all of the creative side of it, including lettering, to make this story interesting, readable, uh, draw you in to the, the visuals of it, draw you into the storytelling, draw you into the characters, pull you into you know the, the cinematography of it all. Um, colorists, I think, bring... That's a really good question. Um, I, I'm trying to trying to equate it with a like film industry, and it's really hard because sometimes I say it's you know coloring is like cinematography, but it's it's different. It's it's coloring. Uh, you know, color has an emotional pull that maybe we don't always understand, but visually we read that interpretation and we absorb it as we're reading the comics. So, you know, if the story uh, is specifying a certain theme or a certain mood in a scene colorists will take what's on the page already, you know, what's already given to us by the pencil anchor and interpret that into a color scheme that would enhance that mood or that sense, the, uh, the, you know, the tone of the story. That's a lot of what we do is the, you know, to bring more, bring the tone more forward. Um, it's also a, a heck of a tool for doing, um, you know, things that you can't do in pencils or inks. You know, I mean, let's face it, that's black and white. And we have 16 million colors that we can pick from. So uh, it's important to, you know, tie that in, again, like, like I said, to story. But also we can do things like special effects, mm-hmm. like glows and, and blurs and whatnot. And it can get a little overdone, you know. It's important to respect the art. But at the same time, these are effects that, you know, comic artists rely on us to do now because they can't necessarily reproduce that in their own pages so or in in uh, traditional art so uh, it's it's i really think that coloring is just a, another part of the creative team you know it's like i said it's, it's ultimately all of us are doing one vision and trying to bring that one vision to the page and to the reader ultimately and that's that's where i fit in well said well said and i'm sure there's not one comic artist worth their spit, as they'd say, that I could name that you probably haven't colored or worked with in some capacity. But I was curious when it comes to uh, that artist-colorist relationship, uh, what artist comes to mind when you think of like artists that have pushed you to try new things and really elevated your own craft? I, I got to take it all the way back to Brian Hitch on The Authority, uh, because when we started working together on, on uh, Stormwatch, uh, you know, we were just sort of feeling each other out. And at the time I was working on staff. So there were a number of colorists working on all the books together. So, uh, it wasn't my project to begin with, but when, uh, Brian Hitch and, and Warren Ellis transferred to the authority or trans, you know, transmitted that story into the authority, I came on as a singular colorist, as the one colorist for the project. And it took a couple of issues, but Brian finally drilled it into my head. You don't have to go with local color, which means like daylight every day's expected color. And the minute I 
freed myself from that shackle, I realized I can do entire stories with just two colors. I can wow. do limited palette. I can do, can concentrate more on, on, um, on contrast and, uh, saturation and, and these other tools that I have that I didn't even know I had in my box that I can now really explore. So I think I, I got to give credit to Brian Hitch for pulling that out of me. And the other one is, uh, John Cassidy with the uh, planetary. Again, these are two of my most um, formative books that I've ever done. And the fact that I was on them both as a single artist for the first time uh, meant I got to really experiment on planetary. I got to experiment with Photoshop and the tricks and the tips and all the crazy stuff that Photoshop can do, because we did some amazing weird filters and crazy effects and stuff in there. And that was really fun to push Photoshop in that direction. But on the authority, it was more about pushing the colors into a really cinematic feel. So I got to credit those two. Awesome. And, and I'm glad you said those two because I read somewhere that uh, Brian Hitch and uh, uh, John Cassidy only, I guess, like because of your relationship with them, they typically only go to you as a colorist. So I thought that was pretty cool to, uh, that yeah. you reciprocated that. Yeah, John definitely does. Brian, not so much. He's gone in a different direction now, and that's great. Yeah. Uh, you know, I love seeing his work. Um, at, but uh, yeah, John Cassidy and I are still all of us awesome. working together. So it's awesome. Cool. And last but not least, for all of the aspiring colorists that, that are tuning in right now, that hope to one day be the next, you know, Laura Martin. What is some advice that you would give them? Uh, primarily, maybe like a piece of advice that you wish you would have received early on in your career that maybe would have saved you a lot of hassle and, you know, made your life a lot easier. Yo, this is Botter. Sorry for interrupting this episode, but I'll keep it brief. I wanted to let you know about a massive sale we have going on over at the Shortbox store on all of our merchandise and apparel. That's theshortboxstore.bigcartel.com. You can now save 20% off your entire order using the discount code YO, Y-O-O. So if you've been waiting for the right time to finally buy that gauntlet snapback, or if you ever wanted to buy any of the shirts you see me wear on the podcast, well, now's your chance to get them for a steal. We still have a few sizes left of everything, but they won't last long and once they're gone they are gone and then i mentioned that all of our apparel is screen printed on high quality material none of that heat transfer or direct-to-garment stuff our shirts are some of the most comfortable ones you'll ever wear and the hats look even better in person so wear your support for the short box nation proudly knowing that you're going to look damn good doing it get to the shortboxstore.bigcartel.com as soon as you can and don't forget to use that discount code YO, Y-O-O, to save 20% off your entire order. All of this information can be found in this episode's show notes if you want to get there faster. Thanks for not pressing fast forward. Now back to the show. Learn how to do your taxes. Stay on a budget. Very important. Um, no, seriously, like, uh, understand how, if you're going to be a freelancer, if you're going to be a, a sole proprietor of your business or even have an LLC, figure that stuff out or find somebody who can do it for you. Cause that's the part I can't stand. I am not good at math. That's why I'm an artist. So find the person or the company that can do that for you and stick with them and, you know, stay on the up and up with this stuff because the IRS is no joke. Let me tell you. Pay uncle Sam his dues. I'm so glad you said that. Thank you. <laughs> Ladies and gents, comic colorist extraordinaire, Laura Martin. Laura Martin, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much. Hey, everyone. Botter Milligan here at Collective Con, and I'm sitting next to a certified comic legend. His name is Arthur Seidem. You have probably definitely seen his covers if you are, if you even remotely call yourself a comic book fan. Arthur, how are you doing, and how is your Collective Con going? Good to see you. Good to meet you. Good to be here in Florida. I love coming to Florida. Are you from, are you from the area here in Florida? City. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm the East Village. I'm a couple blocks from CBGB's, that whole area. It's kind of a cultural hub for the country. I'm from that area. Yeah. Nice. Okay. And obviously, I you know, I, I tend to like to ask, you know, what the comic culture is in other cities. Yeah. But I think for New York City, it kind of goes without saying. It's kind of, you know, considered to be the mecca of, of comic books. But do you have a, a particular, do you frequent any comic shops or, you know, get, are you involved with the comic community around there? Um, no, my involvement with the comic community is at these shows. So doing the comic cons, I, I see all the fans every weekend. Uh, the two parts of the business that I like are I like doing the work. And seeing the work when it gets published, that they do a good job of printing it. And then uh, meeting the fans and hearing what they like and what they don't like. It really helps me uh, take the temperature of the business. So I find it invaluable, really. Fantastic. And for the uninitiated, how long have you been working professionally in comics? Um, well, I started in 1972. They hired me right when I was in high school. Uh, actually, Warren Publishing hired me. So Creepy and Eerie Magazine hired me. Um, I saw my work. I said, we want to hire you We're ready to, when you're ready to start. I said, well, I'm still in high school. I said, when you graduate next year, um, okay, as soon as you graduate, come here and you got a job. So I was on my way walking to Warren Publishing to start working on Creepy and Eerie and Vampirella magazine. And um, it just happened coincidentally that um, DC Comics was along the way. And they had a couple lines that was the same thing that uh, Warren was doing, which are short horror anthology stories, which was House of Secrets and House of Mystery. So I stopped in there, uh, saw Joe Orlando. He told me he's a guy who was the art director for Warren Publishing, and he hired everybody. He brought in Frank Rosetta, Reed Crandall, uh, Steve Ditko, all, the, all those great artists from EC Comics. He brought all those guys in. And he begged me not to go there. He said, don't go there, stay here. So uh, he offered me, he opened up a drawer. He said, there's 250 scripts in that drawer. You can have as many as you want, but please don't go there. Stay here. Uh, so I said, okay, okay. So I started working for him. At the time, I was uh, on the road touring semi-full-time with bands. Um, I've, I've been in a lot of bands uh, my whole life. I, was a, I did movie soundtracks. I was a composer. I was a studio guitar player, studio vocalist as well, so... Other bands would hire me to come in and play the lead guitar on the tracks and do that kind of thing. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what we call a, a child prodigy. I think, in short, you know, a child prodigy early on when it came to comic books and art. I think for anyone that is into comic books, I think a lot of people would say that you have a knack for combining uh, classic painting of comic right. books to... to be trained. Hmm. Yeah, my training is actually 16th century Dutch and Italian. I, I'm probably the most trained guy that's ever worked in this business or any other business. I've got about 30 years... Uh, fine art training so i studied at the uh, new academy of figurative art when i finished that school i went to i did eight years at the uh, art students league that was the uh, the school of norman rockwell in in uh, new york city i had an uncle who one of the reasons i can do what i can do is i had an uncle who uh studied with norman rockwell uh when i was eight years old i inherited his workbooks my aunt gave me his workbooks so i'm also kind of second generation trained by norman rockwell um, then I took the Charles Barr course. That's another six-year course after that. So I've been in school my whole life. It's kind of what I like to do. So talent just flowing through your blood. Well, the, the, the family is an art family. So uh, the Sudan family is, uh, is a renowned fine art family going all the way back to the 16th century. There were a collection of about um, a dozen painters who won American fine artists recognition for the first time worldwide at the advent of the Civil War. And... Uh, they were called the Hudson River Painters, and two of those were Sedans. 
One was uh, Henry Saddam and one was James Saddam. And then that was, and then uh, later on in the uh, early 20th century, America's foremost architectural artist was an artist named E.H. Uh, e. Sudam. He's got a whole wing in the art, uh, the City of New York Museum in New York designated to his work. And so I'm like the latest in and I'm the zombie guy. <laughs> I think, you know, uh, on that topic, I think it's, it's definitely safe to say that, you know, your name is synonymous with the, the Marvel zombies. Can you talk a little bit about the inspiration and the, uh, the catalyst for, the, for their creation? Mm-hmm. I think what happened there was, uh, now I had done some work for Marvel, but Marvel kept going in and out of bankruptcy. And when they went in and out of bankruptcy, um, everybody in the whole company got laid off. And so whatever editor you're working with, they weren't there. Five years later, they were all gone. You know, so I worked, uh, I was the first artist that they hired for uh, Epic Illustrated when Epic Illustrated came along. I was like the very progressive stuff. Um, so yeah, same thing for Heavy Metal. I was Richard Corbett and I were the first Americans that they hired for that magazine. Um, that was very successful. Based on the success of that, Marvel decided to put their own magazine. And uh, I was the first American that they hired for that magazine. And, um, and when that magazine went under, uh, I was working with Archie Goodwin at uh, Epic Illustrated for Marvel Comics. Um, then I was on the road with bands a lot and working for Heavy Metal. And uh, so I had limited time to really work on the artwork stuff because I was always on the road. And uh, what was your question again? <laughs> I wanted to know what was the, the catalyst to birth oh, the okay. Marvel Zombies. Right. So I didn't want to work on superheroes. That's what it was. I mean, I read them as a kid. I loved all the books. I, I had all those books from the 1960s, the Spider-Man and the Avengers. And I had them all, Thor and all that stuff. And... Um, and so then basically when he got married, I said, well, I'll be, maybe it's time to settle down now cause, uh, and do some work on some superheroes because it's better business to do work on superheroes. So first, so I went in, showed him some work. All the editors I had worked for before were all gone. They were all new guys. Um, but they saw that, okay, this guy can really do horror. Well, we got to put something together for this guy. So uh, uh, the first thing I did for them was um, – Another horror series called Hellstorm, Son of Satan. I did that whole series. And that's what they decided. Oh, let's find a writer for this guy and then put a project together. And then uh, that was put together by one of the editors. I think it was John. I can't remember his last name. Uh, but the editor for the Marvel Zombies, he put Robert and I together. And that was a great combination. I thought that uh, Marvel Zombies was the best thing he ever did. Um, and uh, it's always a super big hit came out. And uh, and then after that, everybody started chasing me. Anytime there's any kind of horror stuff, hey, let's go get that guy. So yeah. that's kind of how it got going. You mentioned uh, Robert Kirkman, who right. had written the Marvel Zombie series. H- how did you feel watching him, you know, transition and, you know, you know, uh, go into his own and create Walking Dead and just seeing that explosion? Yeah, well, my understanding, what I'm told is the way that went, the way that worked out was, uh, you know, he had the Walking Dead black and white series um didn't have a much of a following i think there were like two or two thousand between two and four thousand people reading it which is very small um but it was good stuff the writing was good um so that's why marvel went and they found him i think they tracked him down online by his popularity online and put him together with me to work on marvel zombies and it's my understanding that uh, they had been pitching that for four or five or six years and all the all the studios rejected because they said, ah, zombies, nobody cares about zombies. We're not going to do a zombie thing. Um, 
In fact, one of the companies that I was working for at the time, this company named Radical, uh, Radical Publishing out of, out of L.A., you know, they were uh, putting together movie projects, projects to make movies of. I said, guys, you want to do a zombie thing, you know? And, they, and these guys were like, I'll shoot myself in the head before I do a zombie, anything with zombies, you know? We're not doing it, you know? Um, so uh, they couldn't get the Walking Dead sign. Uh, also, the way L.A. works is with the studios, if they don't know you and you don't have a track record, uh, slim chances I know you. They don't want to know you. And they didn't know Robert. He had no credentials at the time other than working for a little magazine that nobody ever heard of, a little, a little black and white comic series. Um, but then when Marvel Zombies came out, you know, it won the Spike Award, Best Comic of the Year, Best Artist of the Year, Best Writer of the Year. It swept, swept the awards. And when Marvel Zombies, Raise the Dead, and An Army of Dark Darkness, first Marvel Zombies came out, that's what created the zombie craze. It became like when the Beatles came over. Everybody in the whole country just lost their mind over zombies. All the computer games started to put zombies in their computer games. Toyota started to put zombies in their car commercials, driving the commercials. It became crazy. And it all started, really started with Marvel Zombies. And based on the success of the, um, the zombie craze that got prompted by that, um, then The Walking Dead got signed. And then, you know, uh, people across the United States who walk, watch a, yeah, and then zombies became an even bigger thing. Right? It's become a part of the uh, pop culture zeitgeist. Yeah, and, it uh, and it was the number one show on cable TV for ten years. So, uh, so yeah, it was uh, qu- quite a ride, man. Quite. Thank you for that history lesson. I I, yeah. I didn't think I'd ever hear the Beatles and Marvel zombies in the same yeah. sentence, but you came and impressed me today. On the topic of zombies, all right, you you can't pick Marvel zombies or Walking Dead. I want to know what's your favorite zombie franchise. Uh, or what's been the best approach to zombies outside of, of those two? Outside of Marvel zombies? So you're talking about like film and stuff like that? It could be film or comics. I want to know like what other franchise of zombie-centric do you really enjoy or feel? I don't really consider them franchises, but uh, film-wise, for me, uh, there were two good zombie movies. And one was The Return of the Living Dead, which I thought was the best one that ever came out. And then Night of the Living Dead was also really, really great. I thought those were the two good zombie um, entities that came along before Walking Dead. And then the Walking Dead show for the first five seasons or whatever was, was, was fantastic. Just really incredible. Great acting, great writing, great directing. So I was very impressed with it. Yeah. Good stuff. And I, I promised I wanted to circle back on, on the music stuff. Uh, you know, for the uninitiated, they may not know that uh, you have a band, the Gotham Playboys, which I think is a fantastic name for a, for a band coming from you know a, a comic creator. Yeah, <laughs> I understand that you toured with uh, Bruce Springsteen. Uh, your band toured with Bruce Springsteen. Do you got any memorable stories of being on the road or being Bruce Springsteen? Well, the band did. I did. So uh, the the Springsteen thing came along um, at the same time time that Marvel Zombies came along. So I had I had my option of doing one or the other. Uh, I opted to do marvel zombies rather than than fool around with this talk about a choice uh yeah it was a good choice. it's one that i've never regretted it's it was it was a good choice <laughs> can you tell us maybe a little bit more about like how music uh i guess inspire your work in comics and art and things like that um yeah i mean if, if people uh for people who follow rock and roll art specifically i mean rock and roll music um there are a lot of guys a lot of these great players um, who have come along over the years, 
who, uh, particularly the guys from England, and actually some of the guys from the United States in the 1980s from the New Wave movement, these guys were all art students. Eric Clapton was an art student. Jeff Beck was an art student. So I don't know if Jimmy Page was as well. But uh, Ron Wood is, a, is an artist. So these guys were trained as artists, and it's a way – it's creativity. So, I mean, your creativity is your creativity, and uh, you, can, you can bring it from one genre to another genre. So if, uh, it's a way of thinking. It's a way uh, – you kind of train your brain to think a certain way. And if you're a musician, you can bring that into the arts and bring that same uh, mentality into artwork. Uh, um, and vice versa, there's a lot of guys who are artists who also play something as well. Awesome. And I've thought of one more question. It's my favorite one to ask anytime I get to meet a, a certified uh, comic legend. And that's for the aspiring artist and comic creator that wants to be the next Arthur or do you know have a career like yours. What would be a piece of advice you'd give them? And maybe one specifically that you wish you would have received early on in your career to, you know, avoid, you know, any heartbreak or hardships. Okay. Um, that's a good question. That's a really good question. Uh, well put, too. Um, so I consider that a two-part question. And I get that question, um, you know, at these comic shows, one of the things I like about these comic shows is, uh, these comic cons, is all these budding artists and aspiring artists who want to get into the business um, they, they come and ask me that exact same question, you know, what should I do? What should I do? And um, um, I think two things. Uh, the first part answer to that question would be um, get the training. So you want to be, I'll say, as good or better skill-wise than the other artists who are getting work. I mean, if you want to go work in the business, your skill level should be on par with or my own personal um, thoughts on it, my own personal from my own strategy for my own career was that I should be, there's a, I have a, in my head a, a, a training that I want to have that I wanted to bring into comics. That's why I got all that classical training. Um, because none of the other guys in the business had that training. Um, so get the good training. And the good news is that you can get the good training for free now. You don't have to go like the slow route I went, which was to go to all these schools. Um, these The best teachers in the world are all teaching on YouTube, and it's free. There's a particular course called the Proco course on YouTube, and he's teaching the Andrew Loomis course, which is considered the, the best drawing and illustration course in the world. It came out in like the 1950s, 1940s, 50s. Andrew Loomis was a contemporary and a, one of the competitors for Norman Rockwell. And uh, a great artist, and that, that's a really great course. Um, so it's very thorough. It teaches you how to draw in all the different, and it teaches you how to work in all the different mediums in ink and pencil and charcoal, in paint and oil paint and, and uh, acrylic paints. Um, so it's very, very thorough. It teaches you anatomy. Um, and then, so that's the first part is get the training. And I recommend that course. It's free. Why not? <laughs> and, uh, and then the second part is if you're going to go to try to get some work, when it comes time and you, 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 you've done up some samples, you think you got your skill level where, where okay, this is, this is, I'm pretty happy with my skill level. I think I can get work with the skill level that I have now. Um, then the second part I would say would be um, target the company you're going to go see. So if you're going to go see Marvel, take, pick, don't take them pictures of Superman and, and, and Batman <laughs> Because I'm t I'll tell you straight, they're going to be blind to it. They're not going to see it. They, they have. Do your homework a little bit. 
No, no, it's not your homework. It's because you're going to think, you're going to walk, you're going to walk in there thinking like, why well, did this beautiful picture of the Mona Lisa? And it looks just like, you know, like Da Vinci's piece, but they're, they're blind to that thing. So, uh, when you go see Marvel, take Spider-Man, take the Hulk, take their mainstream characters, their classical characters. Same thing for DC. If you take in Spider-Man, you take in the Hulk, no matter how good your work is, they're not going to be able to see it because they're just not wired that way. And, uh, so yeah, so target your uh, take some samples, draw up some samples of uh, of your target, and then and that's what you want to show them, and don't waste your time with the other stuff. Solid advice, Arthur. I appreciate your time a lot, ladies and gents. Arthur Sidem here at CollectiveCon. Awesome, good Thank job, so man. Much. Good job. Yeah.